welcome to the Holmes Politicast. Uh, I'll be your host today. We have a lot of news to get to today, but first I want to wish everyone a happy pandemic anniversary. We are at the one year mark, one year ago this week. Actually, it's today, March 10th, but whenever you're listening to it, this week is when Michigan went on lockdown. So it's been a long and crazy journey these past uh, 12 months. Um, so anyway, happy anniversary, everyone. We have a number of stories to get to. Um, the first one I guess I'll go with is from Fox News. This is the headline reads, Whitmer could face criminal charges over COVID deaths Prosecutors say uh, this, it says a county prosecutor in Michigan told a local news station Monday, the governor Gretchen Whitmer could possibly face charges for her early handling of nursing homes and other long-term care facilities during the coronavirus pandemic. Peter Lucido, the Macomb County prosecutor told WXYZ.com that he is limited in his own investigation into nursing home deaths. But if it is revealed that there was a willful, willful neglect of office or reckless endangerment of a person's life, there could be criminal charges. Lucido, a former Republican state senator, appealed to those in the state who may have lost loved ones to the virus who were in nursing homes to seek out information about the deaths. He said HIPAA laws prevent his office from obtaining some patient information. Whitmer's office did not immediately respond to an after-hours email from Fox News. Her office issued a statement to WXYZ and called Lucido's comments shameful political attacks based in either fact or reality. Her office said that one of Lucido's former Republican colleagues admitted that they, are, they have not seen any evidence or testimony that says that a nursing home was forced to take someone against their will. The administration's policies carefully tracked CDC guidance on nursing homes, and we have prioritized testing of nursing home residents and staff to save lives, the statement read. Early in the pandemic, the state acted swiftly to create a network of regional hubs with isolation units and adequate PPE to prevent the spread of COVID-19 within a facility. In addition, we have offered 100% of nursing home resident priority access to the vaccine. Both the former head of AARP, as well as an independent UM, uh, University of Michigan study, praised our work to save lives in nursing homes. She told CNN, this is Governor Whitmer, on Sunday that her state released an incredible amount of data uh, we have followed the federal requirements every step of the way. Last week, Charlie LaDuff, an investigative journalist from the state, told Fox News that he is suing the state's Democratic governor after trying to, for months, to get answers on COVID-19-related deaths tied to nursing homes. You can't get them. I've been asking for months, he said. Dana Nessel, the state's attorney general, is reportedly looking into the state's nursing home policies according to clickondetroit.com. 
Republican state legislatures have called for investigations into the governor's handling of nursing homes and other long-term care facilities during the early days of the pandemic. Michigan State Senator Jim Runstad spearheaded the push. Governor Whitmer's regional hub policy placed patients with and without COVID-19 in the same facilities and may have exasperated the death toll in those facilities, Runstad said in a February statement. The calls to investigate Whitmer come as embattled to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has faced calls for impeachment, amounting, uh, amounting scandal over his state's handling of nursing home deaths, compounded by sexual harassment allegations. Republicans also want to probe into the state's separation agreement for Robert Gordon, the former director of the Department of Health and Human Services director, according to the Detroit News. Gordon also signed a confidentiality oh, Gordon also signed a confidentiality agreement in the interest of protecting deliberations among government officials, according to the deal obtained via an open records request by the news. Gordon resigned in January and is set to receive a $155,506 payout. Back in December, Gordon said he did not disagree with critics questioning the common sense of allowing positive patients to return to homes where they are isolated until they fully recover. But the profoundly imperfect strategy is functioning reasonably well. He also said allegations that Michigan forced nursing homes to accept COVID-positive patients from hospitals in the spring are false. The department in April quickly heard concerns about a provision and a Whitmer order and did not implement it, he said. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, that, um, most of these I'm going to give without comment or commentary because um, they kind of speak for themselves and I think um, you can kind of see, uh, you, you know, you can kind of see what they're trying to say. The only, uh, the only comments I make, I'm going to make is that uh, it seems like this is kind of hastily put together. There's a lot of the phrases um, tripped me over because, um, you know, they, uh, it was poorly worded in some areas and I'm not sure this is a professional Fox news. So uh, it surprises me that they didn't, um, check it before they submitted it. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, well, I guess I will have a couple of, of things. Peter Lucido, uh, I remember him well when he was a state Senator, um, there was some talk at, at a time that he was interested in running for governor against uh, Whitmer next year. Um, I do have to wonder. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not uh, questioning his motives. I'm just saying that that is something you have to consider. That uh, he may, you know, that there may be some element of. Um, beating Whitmer up a little bit to prepare her if you wanted to run or to weaken her. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see because I mean, if he's actually pursuing charges, then evidence will have to come forward. And if there's evidence, then, you know, then she, you know, if, if there's evidence that she committed crimes, then certainly she shouldn't be above the law. She should be held accountable. But if it turns out that this is just political theater, 
um, looking to uh, weaken her, particularly if Peter Lucido throws his hat in the ring, it'll really be suspicious. Well, then I think that um, he should be charged with wasting taxpayer money if it turns out that there is no evidence of anything and this is just PR stunt. So, um, so we'll see what happens. This is this is really interesting. Another story here in Michigan is uh, the headline reads, this is from RT America. Uh, Police and FBI investigate after student accidentally detonates explosive devices in class, injuring four students. A blast ripped through a, a classroom at a Michigan high school, injuring five students and for all county schools to lock down. Police believe the explosive device was brought by a student and detonated in a freak accident. The explosion took place inside a classroom shortly after lessons began at Nuego High School at around 9 a.m. on Monday, local time. The blast injured at least five people, including a 16-year-old student who is believed to have brought the device to school in the first place. While police have, have yet to identify the material of which the homemade explosive device was made, local media reported that it was not a firework, citing officers. The explosion triggered a full evacuation of the school and saw police briefly place all schools in the district on lockdown. The 16-year-old was taken to hospital with severe injuries, while four of his classmates and a teacher had to be treated for mild injuries. It's unclear what prompted the student to bring explosive to school in the first place, but police said the teen apparently did not mean to detonate the bomb in class. We don't believe it was any kind of malicious intent on behalf of the student, Michigan State Police Specialist Lieutenant Michelle Robinson told a press conference on Monday. Nuego Public School Superintendent Peg Mathis threw her weight behind the police's preliminary findings, saying in a post on social media that a blast was not somebody planting an explosive device in order to hurt our students, but was a result of a serious lack of judgment. But that post has since been deleted. There have been reports in local media, however, that, a, that the bomber was aware of what he was doing, but misjudged the size of the blast. News 8 reported, citing investigators, that the student didn't understand how big the resulting explosion would be. In addition to the local police department and the Michigan State Police, the FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives are also involved in investigating investigation into the incident. And um, just as an update, I saw earlier uh, that a man has been arrested in Nuego County uh, in relation to this, although uh, his name and uh, his uh, role in it has not been released, but there have been, has been a man arrested, uh, uh, not obviously an adult, um, in connection to this. So um, this this is interesting to see if uh, what happened here and uh, why exactly you would bring a a detonated device to school. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of why a person would do it. I mean, this is all, obviously, they're not show and tell. This is not little kids. 
Uh, of course, that'd be really disturbing if the kid brought a, an explosive device for show and tell. But I'm not sure what you would bring an explosive device to school, even if you didn't realize how big the explosion would be, what would be the point of bringing it? Um, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Um, we touched on uh, Governor Cuomo of New York earlier. I just want to um, update from last week. We talked about uh, three women who had come forward uh, and my how much things have changed in, uh, um, in one week. Uh, the headline from uh, the Times Union of New York says Cuomo faces new sexual harassment allegation, this time at Executive Mansion, and this is now a sixth woman. So we've had three since our last um, since our last meeting here. And uh, it's interesting that in New York, before I read the article, I just want to say that last week um, I read that the Speaker of the House of the Legislature or the Senate Majority Leader of the Legislature in New York, one of the two was asked about Cuomo being forced to resign, if they, if they thought Cuomo should be forced to resign, and they said, uh, it's not enough. Um, if another woman comes forward, then yes, we should take it seriously. So I remember there being a lot of talk that, I guess, harassing three women is okay, but that's the line. So now I'm interested in hearing what they have to say now that six women have come forward, uh, if they're going to pressure Cuomo to resign or not. But here's, here's the article as written in time, the Times Union. A sixth woman has leveled allegations of sexually inappropriate conduct against Governor Andrew Cuomo, accusing him of touching her without consent late last year during a counter at the Gov Mansion, the Times Union has confirmed. The alleged incident took place after the woman, a member of the governor's executive chamber staff, had been summoned to the mansion to assist the governor with a work-related matter. The woman's supervisors recently became aware of the allegation and alerted the governor's council of it on Monday. An official close to the matter on Tuesday confirmed to the Times Union the allegation that the new allegation had been made, although Cuomo, during a news conference hours later, denied knowledge of it. In response to detailed questions about the handling of the woman's allegation by the governor's office, Beth Garvey, acting counsel to the governor, said all allegations that we learn of directly or indirectly are going to promptly are going promptly to the investigators appointed by the Attorney General. Cuomo, in a conference call with reporters on Tuesday, did not deny touching women, but repeated his statement from, from last week that if he did, it was not inappropriate. First, I am not aware of any other claim, he said. As I said last week, this is very simple. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never made any appropriate, inappropriate advances, and no one ever told me at the time that I made them feel uncomfortable. Obviously, there are people who said after the fact they felt uncomfortable. The woman has not filed a formal complaint with the governor's office. Uh, her allegations were reported to the governor's council by other employees in the executive chamber. 
The information also was relayed by the governor's office to the attorney general's office, which is coordinating an investigation into multiple allegations of sexual harassment that may have been made against the governor. The sixth woman could not be reached for comment. The investigation being coordinated by the attorney general's office is being handled by two private attorneys, June H. Kim, a former acting U.S. attorney for New York Southern District in Manhattan, and Ann L. Clark, who specializes in labor law and sexual harassment cases. Things are really rough for Governor Cuomo right now. He's got a lot of things on his on his uh, plate, you know, with with these sexual harassment allegations. Plus, uh, you know, as we as we touched on uh, in the Whitmer article, you know, he's got, you know, he's been budging the numbers on uh, COVID uh, deaths in nursing homes and things like this. So um, it's just, uh, he's he's really going through the ringer right now. Um, what he'll do is anybody's guess. Um, this article, I thought it was done and then it just keeps going. Um, so I don't, um, if you want to read it, it's in the Times Union of New York. Um, but mostly the rest of it just rehashes what he said last week and what some of the former women, other women have, have been alleging. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so, uh, but you can read it for yourself if you'd like. Uh, here... have uh, another article from RT again um, not commenting on a lot of these stories um, but this one I probably will talk a little bit about um, the headline reads South Dakota passes bill banning biological males from participating in female sports to mark women's day um, little bit of a, I don't know, I, okay, I have to say something about this. just seems a little bit of a, a contradictory in terms that they're going to let biological males participate in female sports in order to honor Women's Day. I mean, I don't know how allowing men in, in women's sports is honoring women, but, um, but anyway, all right, I'll try to, I'll try to do this without too much opinion and commentary. South Dakota Governor Christy Noem vowed to sign the legislation that will ban biological males from competing in female sports following other Republican-controlled states in sending a message on gender politics. We're celebrating International Women's Day by defending women's sports, Noem said Monday on Twitter, minutes after the South Dakota Senate passed the state's women's fairness and sports legislation. I'm excited to sign this bill very soon. South Dakota's bill was passed after Mississippi lawmakers approved similar legislation last week. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves said on Thursday that he would sign the bill making it law. Idaho last year became the first U.S. state to enact a law barring transgender females from competing in girls' and women's sports, but a federal court ruling has held up implementation. 
South Dakota and Mississippi were among about two dozen states that had such legislation pending this year. The bills are advertised as protecting girls and women from unfairly having to compete with biological males. Among other concerns, parents have raised fears that biological males with physical advantages over girls could stand in the way of their daughters winning college athletic scholarships. The legislation also reflects efforts by Republicans to push back against Democrats on transgender politics, including President Joe Biden's inaugural day executive order, expanding LGBTQ discrimination protections. The order condemned denying children access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. The political divide was evident on Monday, while Noam, a rising star among conservative Republicans, was touting a bill banning transgender females from female sports. <clears throat> Biden marked International Women's Day by creating a White House Gender Policy Council and announcing that two female generals would head U.S. combat commands. <clears throat> Before it was passed on Monday, the bill ran into unlikely opposition from some members of the Republican-dominated legislature. Republican Senator V.J. Smith argued the passage of the bill would be tantamount to a political statement that is bound to be challenged in federal court. Opponents of the bill have argued that it's discriminatory and purports to solve a problem that doesn't exist. While there is believed to be no transgender females playing in any high school sports leagues in the state, instances of transgender females dominating women's sports have grabbed headlines in the recent years. For instance, two transgender girls dominated Connecticut high school sprinting championships, leading to lawsuits filed last year by the families of female competitors who said they were deprived of track titles and scholarship opportunities. In 2018, Rachel McKinnon, a Canadian transgender woman, became a world cycling champion in the 35 to 44 age bracket, drawing complaints of unfairness from some competitors. McKinnon defended her title the next year, attracting more attention to the cause. Oh, that's the end of that article. I thought there might be more. Hmm. This is interesting. This is... Uh, interesting debate. Um, I tend to side with the Republicans on this issue uh, because there is a reason why we have predominantly had men's and women's sports. We don't have uh, you know, we don't have a uh, uh, co-ed baseball teams typically in high school or you know we don't have co-ed football teams um you know tennis uh soccer uh because uh it would give an unfair advantage to guys or to, to men or boys who um are just built different and um so it seems like it would make sense that 
you wouldn't allow um, a guy who thinks he's a woman to compete in women's sports. Um, it seems like it would give him an unfair advantage. Otherwise, there really would be no point in having men and women's sports. Just have them all together. Just whoever's the best can be on the team. You know, So if you have a basketball team, boys and girls can compete to see who's going to be on there. Whoever's the best gets, you know, gets on the team. There'd be no reason to segregate them based on their biological sex if, if, uh, if there was no difference between men and women. So, um, so I, I would think, and and um, I hadn't thought about the scholarships and and things like that. That that is true. That it would give boys an advantage over scholarships. That it would deny biological girls the ability to compete fairly, to win scholarships, to, um, you know, and um, seems like it would also hurt this whole girl power movement. Um, you know, of of it, it seems like it would just reinforce the idea that women are inferior to boys, that they can't even compete in their own against other girls that they're still having to compete against the boys and they're going to be inferior. Um, it, it just, it, you know, and then on top of it, you have the whole question of locker rooms and um, showers and other things. I mean, it just seems, I just can't imagine. I mean, I know uh, even, even boys would be uncomfortable having to change around a girl, but I imagine girls would be more uncomfortable to change um, when there's a biological boy in the room, regardless of whether he claims that he's gay or transgender or or whatever. I don't know if he'd be gay, but if he claims he's not interested in girls, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how all that works. Um, and I honestly don't know if transgender people are necessarily gay. I've never studied enough to know if a guy who thinks he's a woman would be attracted to girls or would be attracted to boys or what. I don't know. So anyway, it would still be very uncomfortable, I would think. And it just it just opens up a lot of issues, particularly with minors. With, with, when they're grown-ups, it's a little different. I mean, it's not tremendously different, but it's a little different than um, subjecting uh, minors to that, you know, um, to tell a uh, middle school or high school girl that, you know, she has to change in front of a boy. I mean, it just seems like that could open up a whole host of problems later in life. So in this case, I tend to stand with the Republicans, although um, they do make a good point about South Dakota that there is not one case of a transgender person wanting to compete in competing or wanting to compete. So it almost seems like more of a political statement that they're making in South Dakota than because there actually isn't anybody, there isn't a situation in place where they're trying to correct a wrong. They're trying to stop something that might happen at some point in the future. So we'll see. Uh, Chris, Christy Noam, uh, as you know, is, uh, or as they, they mentioned, is a rising star. There is a lot of talk that if Trump doesn't enter the uh 2024 presidential race that Christy Noam will be running and no guarantee that she would be Trump's uh, pick but she has a very good relationship with the former president 
and um, she might very well be the person that he um, would support in 2024 if if he decides not to run. This one's a little bit of an older story from just uh, late last month, but I didn't get to it. It's about Biden's pick for uh, the uh, HHH or the Assistant Secretary of Health um, and Human Services. Uh, um, this is from Blacklisted News. Biden's HHH pick, Rachel Levin, advocates sex changes for children. Um, Joe Biden's pick for Assistant Secretary of Health at, at the Department of Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine, is an advocate of sex changes for kids and the drugging of children with puberty blockers. Well, this one's obviously going to be a little more slanted. You can tell already that um, this these people are not in favor of this pick. But um, so I won't have a lot of commentary on this because the commentary is already in the article. Um, Dr. Levine has advocated for sex changes for prepubertal people. Otherwise known as children, uh, why? why? <laughs> um, a professor of pediatrics and psychiat uh, psychiatry at the Penn State College of Medicine, Levin has given lectures in various settings since at least 2012 on how to perform sex changes and gender conversion therapy on children. According to Levin or Levine, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Children ought to be given the latitude to choose their own gender. Levin has advised adults to try not to force them one way or the other and instead to follow the child's lead. For pre-pubertal children, Levin said in a 2017 speech at Franklin and Marshall College, they might present in different ways. They might present at school in the gender they were identified at birth, or they might present as the other gender, or they might be more gender fluid. Levine or Levine, has described children as young as five or six as knowing which gender they wanted to be. Once, however, the child reaches the young adolescent stage, Dr. Levine recommends puberty blockers, a practice which Dr. Levine apparently followed at Penn State Hershey Medical Center as chief of the division of adolescent medicine and eating disorders. In speeches, Levine describes prescribing puberty blockers and cross-gender hormone injections to children who expressed anxiety about the natural process of puberty. Additionally, Levine has expressed doubts about the controversial requirement and some standards of medical ethics that patients receive psychological evaluations before undergoing such drastic medical regimes or regimens, regimens, sorry. The current protocols for gender uh, dysphoric youth, Levine stated in a 2017 speech, outline a two-step process. The prescription of puberty blockers during the first stages of puberty, and then after continued counseling, the introduction of cross-gender hormones between the ages of 14 and 16. Then around age 18, the patient may undergo surgery. But as Levine noted, there are sometimes exceptions. In certain instances, Levine has said, surgical procedures may be performed on patients under the age of 18. 
Levine, however, has noted that doctors may discard the protocol and significantly accelerate the process when dealing with street kids who do not come into who do not come into clinics with their parents and who may be tempted to buy hormones off the streets. In such cases, Levine said, doctors may skip the blockers altogether and go straight to cross-gender hormones, presumably at ages even younger than the 14-16 range described above. Though common in the past, the practice of foisting experimental medical treatments on vulnerable populations, especially minors, is condemned by most medical ethicists. Puberty blockers, which are sold as reversible and temporary, can cause irreversible reduced brain maturation and bone density and permanent sterility in children even after the drugs are stopped. Yeah, this one, uh, not a lot of comment on that. Uh, I think it pretty much speaks for itself. I have not heard if this um, person... Um, was actually uh, confirmed or not. I do know that Rand Paul asked a number of people or asked a number of questions to to him in which he refused to answer. Um, just kept going back to, if you would like to have a conversation uh, in private about this, we can. And uh, that wasn't, he wouldn't answer actually anything so i don't know if he was confirmed or not um but he's not i personally don't like him i don't agree with just about anything that he believes um so anyway i, I i'm i'm opposed I've I've always been opposed to um uh it's kind of conversion therapy for youngsters, whether it's to change them from being homosexual or if it's to force them. Um I don't think adults should be forcing uh I mean parents it's a little different. Um I mean, you know, there there are exceptions, you know, um but uh I, I don't think adults in society or any outside group should be forcing kids one way or the other. You know, that you have to, you know, here's, here's, here's hormones and things to make you uh, transgender or whatever. And I don't think they should be giving you drugs and, and, you know, electric shock therapy and stuff to try to keep you from being gay. Um, you know, I think, you know, with, with minors, they should, there should be no kind of conversion therapy, none of this, you know, hormone blockers and stuff being did to kids, certainly no sex changes and things like that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm that way, like I said, even, even on these religious conversion therapies, you know, where you, um, force kids to go through, uh, gay kids to go through these, uh, forcing them to go through different regimens and things to try to convert them to being straight. Um, you know, I, I just think with kids, we just need to stop trying to use them as guinea pigs and 
And certainly the street kids thing is just pathetic. I mean, you know, I mean, what kind of a thing is that? Street kids. I mean, I mean, I, I don't really know who may be tempted to buy hormones off the street. I mean, is there a lot of hormone dealers on the street? I mean, I, you know, I've heard about kids buying weed on the street, maybe some smack or, or something, but I've never heard about kids looking around to buy hormones. It just seems a little odd. Um, seems to me that if kids are on the street, living on the street, they probably have bigger concerns as, than, as to whether or not they're identified as a male or a female. But um, the last article is has to do with France. Um, France considers setting sexual age of consent at 15 to fight child sex abuse. The French government is considering setting the age of sexual consent to 15 in order to prosecute claims of sexual abuse against children by parental and authority figures, the Associated Press reported Wednesday. Um, oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, the article is a little more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I'm glad I read this. France currently does not have an established age of consent, which combined with statutes of limitations makes it difficult for victims to make a case years after the abuse, according to the AP. The French Justice Ministry said that such actions against children are intolerable and that it will act quickly to implement the changes that our society expects. An act of sexual penetration by an adult on a minor under 15 will be considered a rape, Justice Minister Eric Dupond-Moretti said, the AP reported. Exceptions would be made in cases where teenagers consent to sexual relations. According to the AP, the established age of consent is intended to revoke assailants from using consent as a way to lessen charges raised against them. It's very good that there is a revised debate, that there is an idea of a minimum age of consent. This will make adults more responsible, said Fatima Benamar, an advocate for stricter laws against people who abuse children. Tens of thousands shared their experience with sexual abuse by a parent or guardian as a child in an online Me Too campaign in France after accusations were made against French political expert Olivier Duhamel last month. The Justice Ministry will hear from victims' groups on how to approach laws regarding sexual abuse against children such as the statute of limitations, since it can take time for victims to come forward due to deep trauma caused by the abuse. Um, the ministry may broaden the scope to, of the law to ensure that victims of the same perpetrator do not receive different legal treatment. So those accused of abusing multiple children over several years could be prosecuted equally. France attempted to set major content three years ago, during the Global Me Too movement, though it failed after several legal complications. Um, okay, so that was a little different than at first blush. This is why you can't always go by headlines. The headline, I thought, was that they were lowering the age of consent because too many people were being um, charged. Their jails were becoming overrun. So they thought, well, lower the age of consent so that um, we won't have as many, you know, so if you sleep with a 16-year-old, you know, or a 17-year-old, it wouldn't be considered statutory rape. But when you read the article, 
I had no idea that France had no age of consent, which is doesn't surprise me because French French is uh, uh, I don't know when you think of France you think of amour, a love, uh, you know, free love, free you know, romance and all this. It just they're very libertine in their uh, in romance, so it doesn't surprise me. But anyway, all right, so. A lot of interesting stories there. Um, all right. Well, we're just about out of time. So anyway, hope you all have a great week. And um, oh, this week, uh, Biden will be addressing the nation. Uh, his first primetime address. So be sure to listen out for that. And if there's anything newsworthy, we'll come to you with that next week. Um, so anyway, I'll talk to you all later. Bye.